Hello, this is Chuki Minor in Vallejo, California. I have traveled in the Middle East and written a book called Children from Heaven in the 1990s. And I, <laughs> I want to record today some of the many comments I made in that book. And also, I hope to elicit responses from readers. I want to talk about the intractability of the Israeli government and how the fact is that not even the most left governments in Israel want a genuine Palestinian sovereign state, certainly not one that would be fully armed definitely not one that would be a contiguous area of land. Such a political group in Israel does not exist, except as a small, very dissident leftist group, perhaps among uh, some of Israeli dissidents. <clears throat> so many times I have thought, compared the crisis in Palestine to the Third Reich and what went on under the Holocaust the Nazis perpetuated. It's as if reporters had gone every day in Germany. Of course, they did not have that happening. It was all hidden. And said how many people died in the gas chambers. Then went home, done their job, and went to bed. Did, went back the same day and did the whole thing all over again to no avail. And this is what's happening today, no matter how many reports there are about the crimes Israel has committed and against international law, human rights. Israel goes right on committing them with unremitting impunity and no one stops them. In the recent incident where Hamas retaliated in, against Israeli civilians, which of course no human rights advocate supports, with nothing, but they have like giant firecrackers. They don't have real arms. Nothing like Israel. It's ridiculous to even compare them because Israel got angry that the people were protesting in front of Al-Aqsa Mosque against evictions in East Jerusalem of Palestinians so Israelis could move in their homes. And they invaded the Al-Aqsa Mosque when people were at prayer. And three times Biden stopped the UN from making a resolution that demanding Israel stop its aggression against Gaza, in which some 100 people were, were killed. Just a second. What does, 
What does it mean when it says add flag? It beeped and said add flag. I don't know, that's probably an optional thing. Yeah. Looks like you're still recording though. Just excuse me. <laughs> this is my first podcast. And <clears throat> also, right before the breakout, Biden had just passed a law. Uh, a, a resolution granting. I I had read. You read different reports, different sums. Thirty nine billion dollars. It's just, or perhaps it was thirty nine million in this case. I know, the United States, allows to Israel, annually between three and nine billion dollars. That's for sure. And this it was a, just a phenomenal amount of money. For them to just keep decimating the Palestinians is just unreal. What U.S. taxpayers don't realize, and which I've thought of so many times, they're the ones funding this genocide. They're paying tax to the government, and the government passes these bills. And they're the ones paying for the deaths of and maiming of children and reporters. Recently, there was a woman working for Al Jazeera who was covering a peaceful demonstration of Gazans. And she had her big press, this vast, big words press. Suddenly, a group of Israelis attacked her. They handcuffed her. They pushed her very roughly into a police van and took her to a police station to be interrogated for hours. And she said, you know who I am. You have seen me here. I'm a well-known reporter, uh, as if she had actually even spoken with some of those who had attacked her. Why are you doing this? Well, her hand was broken, her side was kicked, she still suffers from the pain. They put those handcuffs on her so tightly they cut her wrists. They're tight. They put on round handcuffs around our wrists, they're somewhat rectangular, and they try to break wrists in this way. Uh, these. So what we see today in the form of the modern state of Israel is the shadow, not the substance of the Jewish people. It's just all the pogroms in Russia, in Poland, and the the terrible persecution in the Middle Ages when Jews were called Christ killers, all of these terrible histories of prejudice. It's just like now a horrible shadow visiting vengeance on the Palestinian people who had absolutely nothing to do with it. And all they want to do is to go on living in their own home, homes and homeland. <clears throat> in many cases, Israel demands that the word Palestine be omitted from the vernacular in Israel and references in books be omitted the word Palestine. You have to say now historic Palestine if you want to be printed in Israel in an Israeli publication. 
uh, Carl Jung wrote in his Phenomenology of the Self, uh, evil. It, it's uh, it's a very real force. We have to come and we have to live in the reality that evil exists. It's real. It's not just a a figment of a relig- the imagination of an ultra religious past. It's evil is real. And it many in many cases this issue can go way back to the beginning when David Ben Gurion, I think in the nineteen fifties, he first took power. Uh I can't remember, it was in the very early nineteen fifties. And so he and his staff and political colleagues, they decided to offer to any of the Arabs of Palestine Israeli citizenship. Well, the people came forward en masse. And so after 100,000 people came, much to their amazement, they had that so many people, they were like in such deep denial, obviously, about the true demography of Palestine, how many Arabs lived there. They just always wanted to downplay the actual demography of Palestine. Of course, it was densely populated. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> no one was practicing birth control there. And in any event, they stopped it because they, they said there's far too many now. They, we cannot have a, a Jewish state if we grant all of these people citizenship. And you can see the twist, the irony, the cruelty and the injustice starting to make its way emerge in this ugly way inside Israel, its politics, its society, and how people began to condone these actions that people, the Jews in Israel, began to to condone it. I am I am going to stop now. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be reading from portions of my book. Thank you. I I hope to be continuing at this time. It's sometime around one one thirty on Thursdays. If anyone is interested, if anyone has heard me and wishes to contact me, you can contact me on Facebook at Chuki. Initial G, initial L, minor. Minor is M I N E R. Chuki is T C H O U K I. Thank you so much. I want to stop. I said goodbye. Stop. 
Good afternoon. This is Chuki, and this is my Chuki Miner, and this is my second broadcast on the subject is my travels in Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza. So I'm starting out now with this information. I wanted to clarify uh, information I gave in my first podcast last Thursday in regards to the details of what started the last bloody conflict between Israel and Gaza. There were people demonstrating against evictions in East Jerusalem in front of Al-Aqsa Mosque. Angered by this show of support for the evictees, many of which were evicted from homes that had been in their families for generations. The Israeli soldiers, or IDF, invaded the mosque while worshippers were at prayer, throwing tear gas and stun grenades inside the mosque. Tear gas at close range causes a horrible discomfort to the eyes and even serious illness or damage to the eyes. Stun grenades make a terrible deafening noise and shear the air with a blinding light, causing disorientation and unavoidable panic. Giving a very different report is an account I read in the European Time magazine, which, by the way, varies from the time published in the United States, I found. This account detailed how a young man who, in a suicide bombing attempt that failed, was rushed to a hospital in Israel. There he was treated with deep concern by the nurses and doctors who, fortunately, were able uh, to nurse him back to health and to life, who saved his life. The young Palestinian man was utterly amazed and confounded by these highly professional and skilled medical staff whose obvious care and regard for him gave him back his life. I think this story shows more than many other accounts about relations between Palestinians and Israelis just how profoundly divided their experiences and attitudes can be. While traveling in Israel, I met many wonderful Israelis, many interesting people, people I would like to have known better. had I been able to spend more time there. But when I tried to speak to them about the conflict, some believe that Israel was trying hard to achieve peace, while the others seem to be under some kind of spell, feeling that Jews had more rights in the Holy Land than Arabs. And the reasons for that were often very muddied and unclear. This experience brought me sharply to face the fact, face to face with the fact that even people of really fine and good character can still be responsible for the most terrible injustice. That the nature of evil is how subtly and cruelly it can deceive us. I heard a story from a friend who had lived in Israel with her Jewish husband. She said that the night before the war of 1948 broke out, there were people in cars with megaphones 
uh, Jewish people circulating throughout Jerusalem addressing the Arabs saying through these megaphones we can work this out we don't have to go to war and I believe this account unfortunately these Jews of goodwill were not the ones in charge of the situation and the leaders of the fledgling state of Israel went to war the next day I returned from my last visit of seven weeks to the region just before the second intifada broke out. In the Herald Tribune dated August 21, 22, 2001, the weekend edition, I read an article of an account which I will give now to the listeners. Three Palestinian men were passing through a checkpoint on their way to their jobs as delivery men in a supermarket in Israel, as they did every day. The guards took their papers and examined them, as happened routinely, but suddenly attacked them instead. The soldiers at the checkpoint went completely berserk. They slammed the men, who were all of slight build, up against a wall adjacent to the checkpoint area. They made them drink their own blood. The soldiers then took their pictures and said if they ever saw them again, they would kill them. When the men finally staggered back to their homes in the West Bank and got a message of what had happened to them at the checkpoint that day, how brutally they were beaten, their boss, the owner of the supermarket, and also a rabbi, was furious. Absolutely enraged, he went to the Israeli media with the story. Beth Salem, the oldest human rights organization in Israel, responded with these remarks. The spokesperson said that we get stories similar to this on a monthly basis. There is little we can do. The only reason this story made it into the media was because the owner was so angry and also because he was a rabbi. When I was at a hostel, which was part of the university in Beersheba, I had a very pleasant conversation with a soft-spoken young Israeli woman who attended the university. She told me she would really like to visit Gaza as she thought it must be very interesting and part of the history of the whole region, but she shrugged her shoulders. It's not possible for me. I looked at her dyed platinum blonde hair and dress and agreed she would be readily identified as an Israeli. I thought again of how governments destroy people's lives and are really responsible for creating divisions and nightmarish conflict. That is, if there were no government or one unified government representing the needs and interests of all the people of the region equally, it would be possible for this young Israeli to easily visit the area, see its historic sites, learn its amazing history, and make friends with the people there. To have two states in Palestine, or historic Palestine if you prefer, one Arab and one Jewish is still an obvious and blatantly racist idea. Any government based on ethnicity is 
inevitably going to become a racist, is going to generate a racist society. If the former government of South Africa had suggested such a thing in order to end apartheid, one black and one white state, no government in the world would have accepted it. Not to mention, in the case of Palestine, the foolishness and folly of trying to divide such a tiny area as Israel and the West Bank. Last night, I watched Stephen Sacker of BBC's Hard Talk interview Ilan Pop, a famous Israeli historian, author, and academic who now lives and teaches in at the University of Exeter in the United Kingdom. As Pap carefully outlined the reasons why a unified region was the one and only answer to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, one would have thought the reaction of Sacker would have made one think that he was a Zionist Israeli. Sacker's point of view was so damaged by listening to a whitewashed version of the events surrounding Israel's inception. Sacker mentioned the Israeli historian Benny Morris, whose account of the refugee crisis did not conform to even the figures in Golda Meir's autobiography, My Life. Meir mentions first a figure of 600,000, then 235,000, and finally 400,000 persons, who she blandly describes as being displaced. Meir was a woman of towering, staggering character, who Ben-Gurion described as the only real man on his cabinet. Yet these two vital people, Ben-Gurion and Mir, sacrificed, sacrificed, were willing to sacrifice peace for their Jewish state, as history bore out. It would appear that Sacker was vastly undereducated in terms of a full history of historic Palestine. He certainly must never have read the book How Israel Lost His Soul by Maxim Khalil, a Frenchman of Jewish Lebanese origin who was a journalist and went to Israel in the 1950s, subsequently serving in the Knesset. In, the book, in his book, Khalil gives an account of a wealthy and influential Dutch Jew who, taking a great interest in Israel, went to live there. This man began to cultivate numerous Arab leaders and politicians with the objective of creating a permanent and peaceful resolution to the conflict. Something the leaders of then Israel claimed, alleged, to be committed to as well, but had not done, has not achieved this peace, citing the Arabs were recalcitrant in this endeavor. When he found many or certainly numerous Arab leaders and spokespersons extremely open to working with him on the goal of peacemaking, he was amazed. He went to Israeli politicians and the Israeli press with his stories. He announced that he was continuing his efforts even without the support of Israeli government. The result was that Mossad assassinated this man. 
when Khalil went to the press with this story and others showing the government to be complicit in similar cover-ups. He was thrown into jail on trumped-up charges by, by Israel, by the author Israeli authorities. When he was released, he left Israel for his own personal security reasons and wrote this book, which to this day is still not as well known as it merits. My book, Children from Heaven, in which these and other accounts can be read, can be per purchased in book form online from Author House Publishing Company in Bloomington, Indiana. The book can also be ordered at any bookstore via Ingram or Author House. It is also available for purchase as an ebook on Nook Press, which is the Barnes and Noble's ebook website. I'm hoping to do this podcast every Thursday on or around 1 p.m. And if anyone wishes to contact me <clears throat> with any content comments, you can do so on Facebook. I am available to message there at Chuki initial G initial L minor M-I-N-E-R and the first name Chuki is spelled T-C-H-O-U-K-I so that's Chuki G L minor thank you so much for listening get it to stop. I hit stop. stop but the podcast. It says stop. It doesn't. Hello, this is the fourth podcast. The third podcast. Sorry. Uh, and today I am reading from my book, Children from Heaven. I've done two previous podcasts, one entitled Conversations Between Palestinians and Israelis, and the second, The Disconnect Between These Two Groups. And today I'm going to actually start reading some excerpts of my book, um, in Noam Chomsky's seminal work on the subject of the Middle East, the United States, Israel, and the Palestinians, which is a book that anyone inter interested in these 
Middle Eastern events must read. He writes of an Israeli journalist who he only uh, refers to as initial B. Rosenthal, who unearthed in German records. <clears throat> uh, this occurred right after the Second World War in the German embassy in Istanbul, Turkey. In these records, he, he unearthed a letter from the Ergon, the outlawed army under Ben-Gurion, entreating Hitler to join forces with the Ergon and Stern Gang. Well, the Stern Gang was also a notorious an outlawed Israeli group of soldiers and worked together with Hitler, who would then create a totalitarian state in Europe, while the Agron slash Stern Gang would work to create a totalitarian and expanded between Palestinian borders. Jewish state in the Middle East. This letter was published twice, once in January and again in February in 1983 in Haritz, a newspaper which is published daily in Tel Aviv in both Hebrew and in English. Further information on the origin of this letter reveals that it was written by Avraham Stern, the founder of, uh, of the Lehi, Ergon, uh, which was also known in English as the Stern Gang, which was considered terrorist also and outlawed by David Ben-Gurion. There were many accounts of the terrorism practiced by the Ergon and Stern Gang. One horrific report was of members of the group on a rampage to the West Bank. An old man was sitting down outside his humble home to have lunch. As he began to eat his soup, a member of the Ergon strolled by and shot him in the heart. The elderly man dropped dead instantly, his head falling into his lunch. This story is recounted in O Jerusalem, written by two journalists, Larry Collins and Dominique Lapierre. These acts were designed to terrorize the Arab community, and many Arab families did in fact flee their homes because of the nightmares they were suddenly subjected to by the Jewish or Zionist terrorists. As, as just stated, Ben-Gurion had outlawed these two groups, the Ergun and the Lehi, which was the Stern Gang. Yet he was unable to stop their terrorism they widely practiced, which, which did, in fact, have the effect of causing many Palestinians to, to leave their homes. And... <clears throat> and were rushed into the West Bank, Jordan. Some took refuge in Jordan. But he never was able to stop them. It was He disavowed their practices, but never stopped them. So he, either he couldn't, which is a disgrace to his government, which claimed to be democratic and observe the rule of law, or he secretly thought he could publicly disavow 
while allowing them to continue to cause terror enough in the Israel so that the Palestinians would leave. Okay. I met so many wonderful and interesting people when traveling in Israel and also in the West Bank. I met many people I would have liked to have known better and have become real friends with. This is uh, Chapter 3, and the previous reading was Chapter 2. It was a mystery to me how so many Israelis, good people, and many I admired, could be willing to accept the theft, as it was proven to be, of a densely populated Palestine. It was as though they were under some kind of terrible spell. And the people who, as will be accounted further on, committed crimes against unarmed Palestinians appeared to be suffering from some virulent psychic infection. Geopolitical strategies or conflict, as is a term often applied to Palestine by the media. But what are these geopolitical strategies referred to so frequently on dis in discussions on the Middle East? And why is the persecution, and according to some analysts, slow genocide of the Palestinian people so crucial to these said strategies? The, to many, the answer is obvious. Israel wants the entire region of Palestine for its own state. The very continued existence of Palestinian people in their state or under Israeli occupation is a glaring reminder that Israel is a state based on theft. The issue of a huge culture gap between the peoples of Palestine and Israel is very real. It is, under, it is not understood in the West that there is more connection between Israelis of Middle Eastern background, such as Iranian or Iraqi or Moroccan Jews living in Israel and the Palestinians. One Iranian Israeli told me how his Palestinian employees thanked him profusely for his good manners and conduct toward them. In the Arab world, there is a certain civility practiced in daily conduct among the people. In contrast, some of the Jews from Europe and the West living in Israel are viewed as crass, insensitive, and thoroughly unmannerly. General Nasser, leader of Egypt in the 1950s, is quoted as saying that the problem in the modern state of Israel is that they, the Jews, left brown and came back white. The Jews of the West, now President Israel, are a completely different culture than any culture of the Middle East or Arab world. I don't think um, Gamal Nasser was referring so much to the color of the skin as to the change in mentality between Middle Eastern cultural standards and Western. 
This is from Chapter 8 in a book entitled The General's Son. Miko Pilet, the author, told of how his mother, who could have had a lovely home in Jerusalem after the war in 1948 ended, when she heard that the Arab owners now lived in a refugee camp, she refused. Listening to an online video in which Miko Pella spoke of visiting his now nine-year-old mother, who still lives in Jerusalem, he related how she used to tell of walking as a teenage girl in what is now West Jerusalem and see all the Arab families sitting and relaxing in front of their homes. She says how ashamed she felt when the 1948 war broke out and all these people were driven out of their homes and many forced to live in refugee camps. Pella's father, a decorated general turned peacemaker, declared after the 1967 war that Israel chose to make that war with the Arabs, that in fact there had been no existential threat to Israel. Pellet's grandfather, Avraham Ketnelson, was one of the signers of Israeli's Declaration of Independence. This information is a critical slice of data about the few Israelis, and in particular, the prominent Israeli Pellet family willing to tell the truth about the past 60 years. This is from chapter 20. I wanted to see the ancient tunnels underneath old Jerusalem just before they closed to tourist passage at noon. I walked down at around 11.30 to the entrance where I saw about 20 feet in front of me, an absolutely movie-like scenario. Two Israeli soldiers were rushing out of the tunnel entrance, their Uzi machine guns lifted in the air and at the ready. I was informed that the tunnel was closing early and I had to leave. I realized then in the most visceral and vis visual way that I was in the middle of a perpetual war zone. It was in old Jerusalem as well, not far from the Jewish quarter atop a small hill over the Via Doloroso, or Way of Pain, the passage is believed Christ took with his cross on the way to Golgotha. This is in the Arab quarter. Three little children, all holding hands, skipped up to me, smiling and laughing. There was a light in the little boy's eyes that was unusual and so magical. Excuse me, I, just a moment. The look in the little boy's eyes. Was the look in the little boy's eyes was truly something I honestly had never seen before. 
the happiness and the joy and power in the child's eyes and the absolute merriment exuded by the two little girls as well was overwhelming. It was as though angels suddenly possessed the bodies of these dear little children and gave me the most beautiful message direct from heaven. A message and gave me the most beautiful message direct from heaven, a message of a celestial future, free of the horrors that presently encompass the Holy Land. I will never forget it. The message of love and power shining out of the children's eyes told me of a world so wonderful it cannot be imagined. I felt like the tiny emissaries had emerged from the very walls of the old city, that they have been part of it for centuries, were living fragments of the ancient stones themselves, and that they had suddenly come to life like a wonderful fairy tale. In Jerusalem, these Israelis have created the famous Vad Yakum, the Holocaust Memorial. A very nice lady who lived part of the year in Israel and the other in Canada, asked me if I had been to visit the memorial. I told her no, that I knew all about the Nazi horrors and did not wish to see them recounted again. It is so disturbing, I explained. On numerous occasions, I reflected how so many Israelis were so caught up still in the memory of the Third Reich and its cruel destruction of so many Jews as well as many non-Jews. At times, it seemed to me that Yad Beckham existed on an unconscious level as a kind of justification for the necessity of occupying Palestine and the resulting suffering and complete disenfranchisement of so many Palestinians. In a strange and terrible way, the Holocaust Memorial seemed to be a celebration of the Holocaust and the Nazis because so many in Israel believe that without the Holocaust, there never could have been established the Jewish state in Palestine. I have mentioned previously a book by Maxim Khalil entitled How Israel Lost Its Soul. In this book, Khalil, an account is given of a young man working closely with Kayam Wiseman, a physician and the second great architect of the Zionist movement. The actual founder of Zionism was Theodor Herzl, a Jewish Austrian newspaper man. One morning, this young man came running into the office of Wiseman in a terrible state. We are doing a great injustice here, he told Wiseman. The young man went on to say that Palestine was not a sparsely populated country, an idea promoted by the Zionists, their slogan being, a land without people for a people without a land but was, in fact, very densely populated. In fact, the assistant working toward creating a Jewish state on the actual landmass in Palestine that was supposed to be virtually unoccupied showed that an empty landmass there simply did not exist. 
The wise men calmed his assistant down and somehow convinced him that the Jewish cause for Holem was so legitimate that the removal or displacement of some Palestinian communities would prove to be thoroughly justified. Wiseman still seemed to believe an unpopulated area in Palestine existed if they just continued to study the area carefully enough. In the end of their struggle for the Jewish state, it was to be over one million Palestinian Arabs displaced, although the official figure given by Israel is 700,000. The figures of Arabs who lost their homes and properties and lives in Palestine is still a subject of much dispute. On my, this is from chapter 21. On my way back from a visit into the West Bank, I was stopped in a group taxi by the Israeli soldiers at the checkpoint to enter Israel. The two young guys looked at me and almost appeared to laugh. Casually, they brushed my passport, which I had opened to them, aside. However, two very pleasant-looking young Palestinian men were told in clipped tones that they had to stand aside. They could not enter Israel yet. Here I was, an American citizen from so very far away, being allowed to enter Israel without the slightest problem because I was an American from the United States, because I was from the United States, yet two young people whose ancestors had lived in Palestine for centuries were being subjected to possibly big problems in order to enter what was very possibly their workplace. I read an article some time ago in a magazine such as The New Yorker or Atlantic Monthly about a discussion taking place between a traveling American and two young Arab boys. The American asked in Israel, the American asked the boys where they had been born. They told him the name of a they told him the name of a village that the American touring Israel had never heard of in his travels. He eventually discovered that the village where the boys had been born had been razed to the ground and no longer existed because the Ben Gurion airport stood in its place. The feeling the man conveyed in his writing as he told this story was the village had no right to have been there in the first place, and that the boys had no right to have been born there. Apparently, it was absolutely unreal to this Jewish American that these Arab boys could clearly remember and recount their lives as they grew up in the village of their birth until it was destroyed in order to build the Gurion Airport. Just a moment, please. Upon my return to Mallorca, where I lived in the 1990s, 
from my last visit to Palestine, I tried many times to contact Tariq, Naveen, and the rest of the family. It was then 2001, and the second intifada had begun. I sent letters to them with pictures of us visiting together that day after lunch in their gardens, which were complete with the goat they had tied at the rear of their uh, beautiful garden area. But I did not hear from them due to problems in infrastructure in the West Bank caused by the Intifada. I got only recordings when I tried to call. I was very sad to lose contact. The Middle East conflict is truly a devil's knot. The harder you try to loosen it, the tighter it becomes. There are prominent Orthodox Jews referred to earlier, earlier the Nutera Karta, that disavow the current Israel of today. They believe that only the Messiah can restore the state of Israel. Some groups of evangelical Christians now believe the same. Only the second coming, they believe, can bring about the restoration of the state of Israel. The true state of Israel in the minds of some visionaries reaches far beyond ethnicity, politics, or human logic. When that true state is born, not one drop of blood will be shed. The impact around the world of Israel and Palestine, completely united, spiritually and politically, would be unimaginably profound. Truly, such a transformation in the Middle East would transform the whole world. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry for any gaps in my delivery. I am very much a novice at doing these podcasts. I can be reached if anyone has any comments they'd like to share with me about my readings and the experiences I just described in them. On Facebook at Chuki, initial G, initial L minor, M-I-N-E-R. Chuki is spelled T-C-H-O-U-K-I. Thank you. I'd like to add, if possible, a short addendum to today's broadcast. This is a quote from David Ben-Gurion, who actually, at the end of his life, forsook the politics of the country he appeared to have been virtually wedded to, and he went out into a hut in the Negev, where he became a devotee of Zen Buddhism. But during his career as head of state of Israel, he made this statement about the conflict. He said, in reference to the Jewish state, he sponsored, the old ones will die and the young ones will forget. It it is an absolutely incredible Incredible expose of the fantastic ego of the Western mind and Western people. 
the very idea that people who had lived there for hundreds of years, for some for centuries, some going all the way back to the to the Bible times recorded in the to the times recorded in the Bible, that they were so simple minded, so backward, quote unquote, underdeveloped, so almost subnormal, you could say, that they would just somehow conveniently forget that their homeland, which had been part of so many empires for centuries, would that they would somehow just forget that. It's truly incredible. Thank you. I'd like to add, if possible, a short addendum to today's broadcast. And this is a quote from David Ben-Gurion, who actually, at the end of his life, forsook the politics of the country he appeared to have been virtually wedded to, and he went out into a hut in the Negev, where he became a devotee of Zen Buddhism. But during his career as head of state of Israel, he made this statement about the conflict. He said, in reference to the Jewish state, he sponsored, the old ones will die and the young ones will forget. It, it is an absolutely incredible expose of the fantastic ego of the Western mind and Western people. The very idea that people who had lived there for hundreds of years, for some for centuries, some going all the way back to the to the Bible times recorded in the to the times recorded in the Bible, that they were so simple minded, so backward, quote-unquote, underdeveloped, so almost subnormal, you could say, that they would just somehow conveniently forget that their homeland, which had been part of so many empires for centuries, would, that they would somehow just forget that. It's truly incredible. Thank you.